Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing okay? Good, 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 good. Okay, so we've, uh, we've been in the book of Mark for, uh, for a little while now, so if, uh, if you have a Bible or you have a phone with a Bible on it, do turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be beginning in chapter 14 this morning. Um, I always find it helpful when someone is, is preaching from the Word of God just to have the text right there. There's something that's just really, really helpful about that. But if you don't have it, don't worry. It's already up on the screens to the left and right of me. But I'm just going to dive in this morning. So let's read Mark chapter 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. This is Jesus. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. It's all coming to a head. Now you, can, you can sense in this story that the tension is building. That we're almost just, we've almost reached boiling point. The scribes and the chief priests, they are actively looking to find a way to get Jesus killed, to, to make sure he dies. In, indeed, in the timeline of Jesus' life, we are just mere days away from Jesus getting taken by the Romans and executed. So the sort of the calm before the storm. It kind of reminds me of those those scenes in those old Western films where the main guy walks into town or walks into the saloon and everything continues, everything continues as normal, kind of on the surface. But just bubbling under the surface that just hardly contained is the feeling in the air that at any moment it's all gonna erupt. It's like the, the spring is, is wound, and at any moment, the action is just going to burst forth. And if you look closely, every hand is slowly inching towards a gun, and everyone's just waiting to see who it is that is going to fire the first shot. That's the strained, intense drama of the situation that Mark immerses us in this morning. And it's in this strained tense, boiling point kind of moment that something happens that at first glance might seem quite peculiar, (laughs) might seem like it doesn't quite fit. Let me read it again. 
and he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of, pure, of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So there's this woman who comes in, and she has this very fancy carved flask containing incredibly expensive perfume, and she smashes it, and she pours it all over Jesus. What a strange thing to do, and not least of all because of the expense of the thing. It's the sort of action that would raise a few eyebrows. And it does. Like There are, there are people, Mark, Mark says, it, it seems to get under their skin when they see what the woman does. The, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why? Why was the ointment wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. We, we know from reading earlier in the book of Mark that one denarii, one denarius, one coin, is worth sort of the, the, the wages of a laborer for a day's work. So we're talking about some very costly perfume indeed. This is the sort of perfume that in Canadian dollars would be tens of thousands of Canadian dollars. And they scolded her. She gets a right telling off for doing this. This is quite the extravagant display. And yes, it gets under the skin of those who see it. And she gets told off. Now, isn't there something at least a little bit convincing to what those who are indignant have to say? You know, if you've got this incredibly valuable thing, this kind of luxury item, as it were, why smash it up and use it all in one go? Why not sell it? Why not give it to the poor? Is, is the point that you're trying to make really worth it? Part of what makes that line of reasoning um, perhaps a little bit convincing, even at first glance, is just that we know that Jesus so clearly loves the poor, doesn't he? He loves the poor. He, he speaks often about the poor, about the, 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 the sick, the, the needy, the, the unwell, the, the, the widows, the immigrants, the, the social outcasts. It's something that runs through the whole of this book is God's care for the uncared for. But Jesus makes it clear here that there's actually something bigger going on. There's, a, there's something bigger at, at stake. In fact, he directly addresses the tension that is in the room. He says, whenever you like, you can, and you should, do good for the poor, but you won't always have me. Jesus addresses the elephant in the room, and he says, yeah, I, I, listen, I know what the chief priests, I know what the scribes are up to. I know that my time is imminent. Indeed, death on a cross is the reason why the Son of God has entered human history in the very first place. And this woman, far from being told off by Jesus, is in fact honored. And do you see this? This woman is honored in a, in a way that few others in the Bible get honored. She has done a beautiful thing to me, he says. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I love what Jesus says here, because Jesus goes well beyond just simply kind of defending the woman. All right, you see that? It's not as if Jesus is going, oh, come on, guys, just lay off her. You know, just, it was a nice gesture. Just don't, don't be so... Like, he's, not, he doesn't, he's making a much, much bigger statement. 
He says that wherever the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is proclaimed and preached, this story of all the stories, of all the stories, is going to come up again and again and again, all around the world. And 2,000 years later, here we are this morning. What has happened here with the alabaster flask isn't just a slightly peculiar side note. Write this down. No, In the story of Jesus, you know, Mark goes, well, I guess this happened. I guess I better record it, better write this down. No, Jesus is saying here that this story is central to what the gospel is all about. There's something here that is indicative of the, of the, the whole of the goodness that Jesus, that, that is Jesus' mission to bring about on earth. In fact, let me put it this way. And I don't think I'm overstating that. I think I'm just, I'm just saying again what Jesus is saying here until you get the significance of the woman and her flask you'll be unable to get the significance of why Jesus came to this world in the first place. It seems like such a small thing in the stories, of the many stories that we have of Jesus, some woman, right, who happens to get some pricey perfume and does something a bit strange with it. How can this be indicative of Jesus' whole mission of rescue? Let me explain. Okay, are you ready for a Lord of the Rings-based metaphor? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we are. Usually I'm not allowed to do these, right? Because Rich hates Lord of the Rings. He hates fun, I think. Anything with orcs in it, he just gets a bit suspicious about. But he's not here this morning, so what's, what's he going to do? But don't tell him, right? If he asks, was there any, was there any Lord of the Rings? He's going, no, it was all hockey. It was all hockey-based illustrations. Anyway, let's, let's say you were to read or you were to watch The Lord of the Rings. Wouldn't it be weird if you were to read or watch The Lord of the Rings and just get really frustrated? Why is there so much talk of this ring? Who cares about a tiny ring? That's not the main important thing. If you were to say that, you'd be way off. You know, Surely a tiny ring, it can't be very important. We should, we should fix our eyes on what's really the, the big world-shaping things that are going on. You know, you've, you've got the, the people of Gondor and they're fighting the you know, Mordor. That's the big thing. Or maybe it's the people of Rohan. They've, got, they've been betrayed by Saruman, the wizard. That's the big thing. We need to... We need to that, that's the, be weird if you're like, who cares about the ring? Because unless, until you get what it is about this small, simple-looking bit of jewelry, you'll never understand all the superficially big stuff. In fact, until you understand what the deal is with the ring, you're only pretending to understand all that stuff about armies and battles and kings. So if, you, if you're thinking this morning, who cares about some woman and some expensive perfume 2,000 years ago, Jesus says you're dead wrong. If you're thinking we should be concerned about the really big stuff in the world, right? The big unsolved problems of the world, the poverty, the, the poor, the needy, that is of utmost importance. That is of primary importance. Jesus would say, well, you're, you're missing it. You're, you're seeing the symptoms, but you, you're just not getting deep enough. You're not really addressing the heart of the matter. Jesus says that what goes on with this woman is demonstrative of the reason 
God turns up in human history in the first place. Let's see how that is true. Okay? Now, this, this story is so focal to what Jesus is up to in human history that it, you, you will find this story in all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's in all of them. And it's when we put together all of these stories and all of the details that we see what's going on here. We find that this woman is a woman named Mary, who, Luke records, had lived a sinful life. That's how he puts it, lived a sinful life. Mary is the sister of a man named Lazarus, well known. Jesus raised him from the dead. And Jesus comes to this sinful woman and he has washed her clean of all of her sin. And Jesus has raised her brother from the dead. To this woman, Jesus is nothing less than life and resurrection. She knows it. It's not just Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus has some nice things to say. He's got some wisdom. He did a few nice things, didn't he? And I suppose it's good to remember. No, to this woman, Jesus is life and resurrection. And she displays that she knows this by pouring out the flask of precious, valuable liquid without even seemingly thinking about it. She grasps the immense value of Jesus. Who he is, God, come as a man, the only one who can forgive sin. She grasps the life-changing, life-transforming, life-giving power that Jesus offers. She's experienced the power even over death itself. This is why Jesus comes comes to earth in the first place, to attack the the rotten root of those big problems of the world, to to go to the source, to our broken lives of sin and bring life. There's another thing that the woman grasps and that the rest of those other people in the room just clearly have not. Listen to what it says. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. You see, Mary, incredibly, is the only one present, it seems, who is sensitive to the true nature of the tense situation. That Jesus is really going to depart soon. That he's really going to be executed. His bloody, painful crucifixion is imminent, mere days away. Far from being just a strange side story about a smashed jar of fancy perfume, we see that the woman is is one of the few who truly gets why Jesus came in the first place, to defeat sin and to defeat death. That is of utmost and primary importance. You know, one thing I find so interesting about this story in the book of Mark is that Mark doesn't tell us who the woman is. He could have. He could have. And interestingly enough, Mark does not tell us who those complainers, those people scorning the woman are, even though he could have done. You know, we, we read in Matthew and, and Luke and, and John, and we find out that the woman is Mary. And we could also read and find out that the people complaining, the people scorning the woman are, I mean, who do you think? They are. Do, you, do you think it's the, the bad guys, the, the chief priests, the scribes? Well, actually, we find out that those complaining people are actually the disciples, the 12 disciples who are saying to the woman, you shouldn't have done this. 
Why doesn't Mark tell us that the woman is Mary? Why doesn't Mark tell us that the complainers are the disciples when he could have done so? Well, for Mark, it doesn't matter who the woman is because to Mark, any one of us could be the woman. And for Mark, it doesn't matter who the complainers are because to Mark, any one of us could be those indignant people. Any one of us can, can see the immense value of who Jesus is and what he, what he came to do. And likewise, any one of us could just totally miss it. The woman shows she gets it by, by not even thinking twice about the worth of the flask. In fact, Mary, being on the receiving end of all this indignation, I'm sure there's a part of Mary that might have even been a bit indignant back or at least bewildered in return. She, I'm sure she'd say, what? You, you, oh, you, you think this is worth a lot of money? Tell me this. How much do you think Jesus is worth? How much do you think Jesus is worth? Don't you know he forgives sin? Don't you know he has power over death? Don't you know he is days away from about to, to go and die on a cross to allow all of these blessings to flow to you, life to flow to you abundantly? Listen, if you're here this morning and you are feeling spiritually dry or spiritually dead, or like Rich was saying last week, spiritually sleepy or asleep, you need to comprehend what you can't comprehend. You need to wrap your mind around what cannot be wrapped around the worth, the infinite worth of Jesus. It is the gospel that you need to experience either for the very first time or for the 10,000th time. See, what we, what we sung earlier, right? We sung that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. I'm not going to sing it for you. I could. I could sing. <laughs> I think Pete just went, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, tough. No, I won't. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. We, may, we might not know. We might not actually know quite what we mean when we sing that line. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. What, you might say, hang on. What have I made it? What have I done with, with worship? But here's why it's good for us to, to sing that sort of song together. Even, dare I say it, a song of repentance together. It's because it's what we do, isn't it? We take worship and we make it something it isn't. We take value in Jesus, and we stop value in Jesus. We can all listen. We can all do church and do faith and do religion for a hundred different reasons. None of them have anything to do with who Jesus is, with worshiping the living God. Being in his presence, seeing and savoring his worth. I mean, I don't know how many people there are in this room, 70 people, 60 people, something like that. We could all come in with 60, 70 different reasons, and none of them have anything to do with seeing and savoring Jesus. Like, let me put it like this. How many of us come in here this morning, how many of you specifically were thinking, I am coming to meet with God he is here. He is going to be here. I'm going to meet and stand in, in his presence with my brothers and sisters, those that he has saved. I, I would be very surprised if every single hand went, went up. 
we take worship and we make it something else. I know I, I know I find myself doing this. I'm, a, I'm the guy with a, a microphone strapped to his face and I find myself, I could do it today and none of you would know. I could be doing this for reasons that have nothing to do with worshiping God. It's easy, isn't it? It's easy for us to do that. God save us from that. God save us from what Rich was saying last week that we can end up snoozing through the Christian life. He didn't put it like that. He says like he probably said it better. S- sleepwalking through the Christian life. I say snoozing. We can end up snoozing through the Christian life, not being awake to just who God is. Because this story makes clear it's so possible to miss it, and missing it leads to nothing less than tragedy. Writer, preacher, pastor, John Piper, I just, I just found his summary of this story. He, he sums up the two different sides of the story so, so nicely. So he's going to spin it in a positive, and he's going to spin it in the negative. So watch for that. This is what Piper says. I think the point of this story is this. It is a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. And it is not beautiful, but suicidal when they don't. He says it's wonderful when the affections of those that love Jesus match with how amazing God is. And it leads to death. He even uses the word suicidal when it doesn't. Let's talk about Judas, shall we? Let's talk about Judas. I likened the setting of the story earlier to, to those scenes in Westerns where everyone is, everyone's hand is inching towards their pistol and everyone is waiting for the very first shot to be fired. Let me ask you this. What, for Judas, is the first shot? What is the main thing that pushes Judas over the brink and makes him go to the chief priests and to the scribes and say, I want to sell Jesus out? What is it? Well, it is what this woman does and the fact that Jesus loves her. It's what the woman does and the fact that Jesus says she has done a beautiful thing. That is the last straw for Judas. And I get it. I know that in in popular culture and films and plays and books and musicals, whenever whenever the, the writer and the director wants to spin the story of Jesus on its head and kind of tell the Bible story in a, in a new light, they always spin Judas as the, the kind of the conflicted character, the sympathetic character, the one that the, the audience is kind of meant to connect with, the, the tragic character. But when we read this... It's very hard to get away from the ugliness of Judas's heart. You see it here, don't you? You see it here. Then, Judas Iscariot. Then. If you have a Bible and you have a pen, I just want you to put a line under that word. Then. Directly because of what happens here. Then, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. See, we we learn in this story, which is told in the book of John, that the, the, the reason that Judas hates this so much is that Judas is a thief. And that all along, Judas has been stealing money from the poor. All along, he's been with Jesus. He's been following Jesus, and yet we see he's never really been following him. His heart 
deep down, under all the surface stuff, isn't with him. It's in this moment that it all becomes clear, at least to us reading it, that Judas's allegiance has never been with Christ. The ugliness of his heart is revealed. He has never done what Mary has done. He has never treasured Jesus. He has never seen Jesus as worthy, seen him as valuable. The stuff of this world, the amount of money that the flask was worth, the amount of money that he could have got from the chief priests and the scribes, that's what he's treasured. And where does it end for Judas? For Judas, it ends in literal suicide. It ends in death. He rejects Jesus to the bloody end, and it leads where rejecting Jesus always does, death. Worse than death, spiritual death. Because if you've never treasured Jesus, I'll tell you this this morning, I'll just give you the, the, the bad news, follow it with the good news, but you're in deep spiritual trouble. Mary came to understand And also experience that Jesus was who he said he was. That he could forgive sin because he was God. That he was worth it. That he could raise people from the dead. Both both physically but also spiritually. And Judas never treasured him like this. And I've heard some say, and I don't really know if this is true or not. But I've heard some people say that Judas was the most respectable of all of the disciples. Right? You look at those people that followed Jesus. Who have you got? Well, you've got some fishermen. Uneducated. Unimpressive. Who else? Have you? You've got some tax collectors, sinners like that. Or you've got women like Mary, a sinful woman, lived a sinful life. And Judas, on the other hand, was at least seen on the surface as, as reliable enough to be in charge of the money bag. But beneath the surface, all was not well. What do we see? What do we see in Judas? You, you can be around Jesus, but you, you, you may not be of him. You know what, you, you can be in the church here this morning. Ah, you're in church this morning, at the very heart of it even, but never know Christ. It all, it all depends on what you treasure. Because mark my words, you, you will treasure something. It might not be money like it was Judas, it might be sex, it might be relationships, it might just be who you are and your identity and what you find that in. Whatever gives you, you might, you might treasure yourself, you might treasure you and the comfort that you can have. But let me tell you, everything except from Jesus leads to death. Everything else takes more than it gives. But here's what I find really encouraging in this story. The rest of the disciples, the rest of them who complain about Mary's wastefulness like Judas, eventually come to repent. They come to repent and they come to treasure Christ as he ought to be treasured. Like, like Thomas, right? After much doubting, after Jesus dies and is resurrected from the grave, showing that he has power over death itself. And Thomas sees Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today's the day. Today's the day to welcome his resurrecting power into your life, into your heart. It's time for you to see and savor who Jesus is. Is Have you truly seen Jesus? Have you seen the one who triumphs over sin and death? Be like Thomas, be like Mary here who says, my Lord and my God. 
I just invite you this morning. I, I want to give you the chance to respond, to put your trust in him, to experience the forgiveness of the Savior like Mary knew the forgiveness of the Savior. And if, if that is you if, you, if in your head you're like, I haven't done that yet. I, I've come along to Grace City Church week after week and I have never you know, crossed the line. I've never gone, okay, okay, Jesus, I'm in. I, I've got to have what you have. I am seeing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are worth treasure. And here's the thing, I, I, I want you to, after the service, I want you to come and find me. You know, put the bar that high. This isn't, I, I want you to come and find me. I want to pray with you. I want to talk to you about that. Because this is so important. Because as we've seen Every other path just leads to death. For the rest of us, let's fix our eyes on Jesus and see his worth afresh. You know, I find it, I was thinking this morning, you know, God demands that we are happy in him. He, he commands us to find our joy in him. That's what's available to us. Everything else lets us down. But let's do, as, as we stand and sing together, as we come to the table and celebrate what Jesus has done, let's see his worth afresh. Any one of us can be like Mary. Any one of us can be like the disciples, treasuring other things. Let's be a church of believers that strive to be like Mary, seeing regularly the beauty of our Savior. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? The, the band's just going to come out. We're going to spend some time of just singing and worshiping, being in God's presence because he loves us. He loves us so much. Father, thank you so much that you are worthy. Thank you that we, we see your worth when we look at the cross, when we look at why, why Jesus came in the first place to live a perfect life that we couldn't and die a death on the cross that we deserve. Who would do that for us? We don't deserve it, but we find ourselves this morning caught up in the, in the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. I just think, like, Mary lived a sinful life. Well, that's Matt as well. That's everyone else in this room. But Lord, I, I thank you that we know, we've, we've tasted and seen how worthy Jesus is. Spirit, would you just, as we sing and worship for the rest of our time here, as we take the bread, would, would you make Jesus' worth so real to absolutely everyone in the room, Lord, that we would see you as worthy and just enjoy you. You are so worthy, God.